You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. I'll read 39 through 46. You know, there can be such pressure at holiday meals, like Thanksgiving, and Christmas, Mother's Day, even Easter. And whether it's one of those holidays, there's a desire and usually a plan to make them special and memorable. The problem happens when humans, like family, show up for those meals. Best laid plans go out the window as things are said or not said that hurt feelings. Food is undercooked or overcooked and taste buds are offended. Drinks are spoiled, are spilled and tablecloths are ruined. Pets that normally get along act like mortal enemies. It doesn't take much for holiday meals to become holiday disasters. In chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel, there's something like that happening at this final Passover meal Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. The Passover meal was the most important holiday meal of the year for the Israelites. It was pregnant with meaning, not only in what it remembered, but what it looked forward to. For the Passover lamb that delivered the Israelites from their slavery to Egypt was pointing to Jesus who would deliver the people from their slavery to sin. Knowing this meal's significance made the disciples' behavior all the more puzzling. It all began when Jesus identified his betrayer among the disciples. They began to question each other to see who could be guilty. No doubt those questions got personal. And the disciples began to feel threatened. Their sense of value and importance to Jesus was being called into question. This led them to begin arguing about which of them was the greatest. Which of them was the most devoted. And yet Jesus tells us in John's account of this meal that greatness is found in serving the least. And he demonstrated it by washing each of the disciples' feet. This menial task, of course, was reserved for house servants. And yet in the absence of such a house servant, this was clearly to be done by those disciples to perform on each other's feet. And yet no one was willing to serve the other. Everyone was looking out for himself. And it is no surprise that Peter thought that he was the most important, most devoted disciple of Jesus. Unlike the others, Peter declares in verse 33 of Luke 22 that he is ready to go to prison and to death with Jesus. Of course, Peter has no idea what he is saying. He miscalculates his own strength and misunderstands Jesus' mission. And while Judas would betray Jesus by identifying him to the soldiers, Peter would betray Jesus by denying him to the crowd. This sets the stage for our text, which takes place after the meal is over. And it highlights the most important moment in Jesus' life up until this point. In fact, it's not a stretch to say that our salvation hinged on what Jesus would do next. Let's look at the text together. Luke 22, beginning in verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. 
And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's pray. Father, as we have heard your word read, we know that your spirit must act. He must cause this word to come alive in our hearts that we might respond rightly. And so in the hearing of your word, may we be given the grace and strength to become doers of that word for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The heaviness of the moment was on Jesus' shoulders as they walked to the Mount of Olives. He needed to get away, and the Garden of Gethsemane was the perfect spot. The garden was located there at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus came here often as a place to meet with God the Father, a special place to commune with Him in prayer. If there was ever a time Jesus needed to pray, it was now. And if there was ever a time Jesus needed His disciples to pray for Him, it was now. For the very mission He had been sent here to accomplish was in jeopardy. It was in jeopardy not because the mission had flaws in it or because the timing wasn't right. It was in jeopardy because the only one who could accomplish it was having second thoughts. We see it in Jesus' prayer in verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is saying, Father, if there is any other way to accomplish this mission, if there is any other way to save your people that doesn't require my suffering, now is the time to reveal it to me. You see, Jesus knew what it would mean for him to accomplish this mission. It meant his physical death. It meant enduring one of the cruelest methods of execution ever devised. It meant enduring a beating so severe that it usually killed its victims. It meant wearing a crown of thorns that was fit for no king. Jesus' human will instinctually sought to preserve life, to hang on to it for dear life. The struggle was real. But the struggle wasn't just a physical struggle. It was also a spiritual one as well. Jesus asked God if He would remove this cup from Him. Typically, the metaphor of a cup referred to one's portion in life. Whatever God had given to you in life, be it a blessing or cursing. And so in asking God to remove this cup, Jesus wanted something different than what was assigned to Him. And yet in the Old Testament, the cup is often referred to as the source of God's judgment. Several of the prophets speak about the cup of God's divine judgment that the people and the nations must drink because of their sin. Jesus rightly understands the nature of this cup as one of divine wrath against sin. 
And for our salvation to be effective, He must drink all of that cup. He must pay for all of our sin, and He alone must do it. Let's not forget that drinking the cup of God's wrath would mean separation. That the fellowship that Jesus had eternally enjoyed as the second member of the Trinity would be severed. Instead of being the object of God's love, He would become the object of God's wrath. He would be forsaken, cut off in a way that He had never known. This is the agony Jesus is experiencing as He prays. This is the suffocating struggle He is battling in His mind. He is wrestling with the powers of darkness that were telling Him He did not need to go down the path of suffering while His Father told Him that He did. What would heaven's response be to Jesus' prayer? It's interesting that Luke is the only gospel writer to record an angel appearing to Jesus at this time. It seems that he comes with God's answer to Jesus' prayer. But that answer is not one of deliverance from his mission. Rather, it is strength to continue his mission. As he agonized over his mission, the intensity of his prayers increased. Prayers for strength, for courage to complete the mission flowed out. The spiritual weight of this soul-saving burden affected Jesus physically. He sweat like a heavyweight boxer going the distance. But it was a different kind of sweat. A blood-soaked sweat that often happened when blood vessels dilated and burst from extreme stress and strain. As Jesus' sorrow and anguish fueled His prayers, verse 45 shows us that the disciples' sorrow fueled their sleep. They were physically and emotionally exhausted. They were spent But more than that, they were afraid. Afraid for Jesus. Afraid for themselves. Afraid for what was to come. Sleep was their way of giving in to their fear. That was the temptation Jesus was urging them to pray against. To sleep was to give in to fear. To pray was to give our fears up to the Lord. And that is our great temptation today, is it not? When confronted by hard things in life in which the outcome is uncertain and our power is limited, we give in to fear. We allow anxiety to rule our life and we look for relief. We let our fear seek distractions, be it from food or shopping or alcohol or pornography or any other pleasure in life. Anything that can distract us. We do everything but the one thing Jesus encourages His disciples to do, which is to pray. When we pray, we pray for God to do what's in our heart. But ultimately, we pray for God to do what's in His heart for us. And we can do that because Jesus did that for us first. He prayed, if you are willing, Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Make no mistake, Jesus was afraid, but he did not give in to that fear. Rather, he gave his fear up to the Father in prayer. Donald McLeod in his book, The Person of Christ, wrote, 
the wonder of the love of Christ for His people is not that for their sake He faced death without fear, but that for their sake He faced it terrified. Terrified by what He knew and terrified by what He did not. He took damnation lovingly. Jesus did not give in to His fear, which enabled Him to give up His life for us. And this is the light that Gethsemane sheds for us in this Lent season. Not that we see the agony of Jesus and somehow try to feel it. Not that we are reminded of Jesus' humanity, but rather it is to help us see once again the unwavering love that Jesus had for you and for me. A love that compelled Him to submit His will to the Father. He gave up His will to live so that we might never die. He literally bore the hell we deserved so that we would never know it. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that we might drink of a cup of God's fellowship forever. May Christ's love for you in Gethsemane and Calvary fuel your prayers. May His love for you root out your fears so that you might abide in Him. Let's pray. Father, it is good for us. It is good for us to meditate on the costly sacrifice you made, not only on the cross of Calvary, but in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we focus on your supreme love for us, would that drive us not to despair, but to our knees when we are confronted with the brokenness of our lives? Do not let us fall to the temptation of giving in to our fears but giving our fears up to You, O Lord. Would You help us to remember that it's good for us to ask You for things that we want, but that it's even better to ask for things that You want for us. We pray this only by the grace and strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross. That is our faith, and that is our call as His followers. So let us affirm that faith together using the Philippian Creed as printed in your bulletin. Please stand. I ask you, church, what is it that you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated.
Will you join me for the Lenten prayer that you find printed in your bulletin? We'll say this together in unison. Lord Jesus, you entered the garden with the weight of the world on your shoulders. In your humanity, you were tempted to save your life, to bypass the cup of God's wrath. But you willingly chose to follow the Father's will all the way to the cross. As recipients of this great salvation, give us your strength that we may give up our will without giving into fear of where it may lead us. Lead us into a greater trust in you that we might deny ourselves Take up our cross daily and follow you wherever it may lead us to the praise of your glorious grace. Following the benediction, you are dismissed in quiet reverence and may greet one another in the Cheatham Center or Lock Commons.
Let's sing the third and final verse of Before the Throne of God Above. Please stand. for you that was displayed beautifully in the Garden of Gethsemane and on Calvary for you. And if you know that love and you receive that love, then hear God's blessing over you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide upon you all both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.